Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business. We kick off the afternoon just on midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It is uh, great to have your company for another edition of The Call. We do this each and every afternoon at this time, Monday to Friday, where we examine 10 stocks that uh, you've suggested we have a look at. I put them to two experts and uh, they give us their opinion of them. And today, a terrific expert panel to... uh, take on your questions. Uh, first up, Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, uh, afternoon to you. How's your week gone so far? Yeah, good, thanks, David. And uh, you, it was nice having a long weekend as well. Yep, absolutely. And I, ju- I see in the background there, is that your new book that you've got strategically placed there? Uh, it is, and I want to thank you and the viewers because uh, straight off the program last week, quite a few viewers bought it and very happy to get feedback from the viewers once they've had a chance to read it. Yeah, that's good. Now, what was the website again where you can get it from? Because it's an investment website, isn't it? Yes, it's the Educated Investor website. So it's right. educatedinvestor.com.au. Right. And um, Janine, who runs it, uh, specifically focuses on books for investors. Mm. And... Um, so she stocks all the kind of books and publications that investors oh. would be likely to, to need. Oh, I'm a, I must get you the details from Janine. She'd be a, uh, a good regular guest on, um, on Ausbiz on, uh, on, the, on the top investment books that you should be reading well, at the moment. Yeah, she's, she's from Melbourne, um, right. based in Melbourne. Um, okay. But, uh, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll follow you up on that. That sounds good. Uh, and Gary Glover joins us from Nova's Capital. Gary, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Yeah. Good. How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, right. I've, I actually never used that site before. I'm, I'm a prolific sort of buyer of books. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I okay, sort of, yeah. The, the best investment book you've ever read, apart from Howard's. <laughs> um, Do you have one that's been... Yeah, Mark Minervini's got a few books out there. Uh, right. Sort of trade like a stock market wizard. Right. Uh, so that's probably, unfortunately for me, that's probably... I read it maybe after the. It's probably number two hundred on the right. on the list. So I wish right. I'd read it in the first fifty books. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. All right, good tip there. Yeah. Uh, I love catching up on those sorts of books. So uh, yeah, that could be a good regular segment on Ausbiz. I think to catch up with the the investment books that are doing well. All right. Uh, before we get stuck into your top ten uh, stocks that you'd like us to take a look at. I always choose one that's um, that's been in the news for the day. Thought we'd take a look at Altium, uh, investing in its new cloud platform, uh, Altium 365, as it's expanding its leadership and organizational capacity to drive more performance in the group. In the restructure, it's separating its cloud operations from its software business. The chief executive of Altium says, the launch of Altium 365 marks a significant turning point in Altium's journey, uh, referring to this as uh, Altium's Netflix moment. 
with its uh, hard pivot to the cloud. Um, Gary, Altium is seen as one of our better tech stocks, software business, of course. Um, by the sound of it, it's turning itself into a SaaS business, software as a service, um, so it can have that ongoing income. Is this a, a good thing for Altium? Uh, look, it might be a good thing for them. So, I mean, look, it's been a pretty successful business there. Yeah. So I think, um, but so now at the moment, the market cap is about 4.6 billion. That's kind of the stumbling block for me. Right. Uh, PE is about 102. So right. obviously not much yield there. I know PE is not the, you know, the be all and end all because you know, their growth stocks always got high PEs, but valuation is pretty substantial. Yep. Um, <coughs> so like the revenue for the year was up 10%, which is obviously pretty good in the current marketplace. I think the, there's plenty of cash, like 93 million in cash, is debt free. I mean, the earnings were, were up, but yeah. it was only sort of a you know, small percentage jump rather than a major. Um, the thing I don't like about it the most actually is the technicals. Uh, right. Off the last high there, um, from the Feb high, there was really aggressive selling all the way down. That was really, if you look yeah. at the volume there, it was actually yeah, yeah. really aggressive volume. And we've sort of bounced back here but the volumes have been kind of lighter here. Every time we've had a bit of a sell down, the sellers have got, got pretty aggressive. Right. Um, and and the buying's kind of a bit lighter in the volume wise. So just not seeing the commitment there that, that I'd like to see from a growth stock right. on a big multiple like this. Yeah. So just, um, I can see that $37 level is a big price resistance point as well. So just think you need to watch that stock around that level. Really needs to sort of close above $37 comprehensively with a, you know, some strong volume there. Yep. Otherwise, I mean, like all the broker vales are, what, 34 to $36, so we're already sitting at the high end of all the, right. all okay. the you know, valuations. So, great business. Um, they definitely had some good numbers there on the Altium, so I think the, I think they were up, what, 15% or something yep. on that um, model. So, probably doing the right move there, but yep. it's just, just the valuation, so that's yep. a, you know, so great business, but yep. you, you, can't, you can't buy any can't buy them at any price. So and, and with yeah. these um, software businesses, uh, the, we've had a few of them on the call before and the experts keep saying, well, you've got to go to software as a service because it, it, it smooths out your income uh, rather than big lumpy upfront yeah. payments. But the problem is when you switch from those lumpy payments to the smoothing out, there's sort of 12 months where, where your, your revenue will be down yeah. as you switch, o switch over the model sort of thing yeah. uh, to watch out for. Um, Howard, what do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, uh, as Gary says, very good business. Share price uh, uh, or PE ratio particularly incredibly high. So not something I'd be buying now. I actually bought for the very first time a small parcel in March when the share price and PE ratio plummeted to slightly more sane levels. I wouldn't say I bought them cheaply, but I suppose it's cheap relative to the current price because I paid, I think $24.50, it got down a bit lower than that. And uh, so I've done quite well on a relatively small amount of money. Um, it's a business I would like to own more of if the PE ratio got to more reasonable levels. It's got high return on equity as we'd expect from a business that's not capital intensive. Its earnings per share been growing, although the last financial year was a bit disappointing compared to what they expected. Uh, got no debt, uh, as Gary says, cash on the balance sheet. So it's got all the basic requirements of a wealth winner, but at the moment, pretty expensive. Interestingly, it's, it's probably one of our few companies on the ASX that was started in Tasmania 
and has grown into not just an Australia-wide business, but uh, getting somewhere close to now a worldwide business, uh, uh, although the big sales are really uh, US, Australia, getting into China. Um, the switch to the cloud, it, it, perhaps the word switch is wrong in that um, the high-touch business, the kind of uh, parts of their market where they're selling uh, sort of larger amounts of their software, that they're not going to necessarily make cloud-based. It's the um, simpler sales that are more easy to uh, convert to less involvement with their staff that they're right. switching to cloud-based. Now, of course, that may be over time that it'll all switch to being cloud-based, but at this stage, it's sort of a bit of both. Very, very strong board with a, a, an executive or chairman who acts a bit more like an executive than is common in, in, in Australia, and um, very strategic thinking board. So I would think in the long term, this company will continue to do well, and I would love for it to get down to the kind of PEs and share price that it was in March briefly, uh, so I could buy some more. I, I probably should have bought more then, but didn't. Right, so back around the 25 buck market, you'd be interested. Yeah, I'd get very enthused. I'd, I'd be right. certainly buying a lot more. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's always going to trade in a high PE because it is you yeah. know, a very successful stock. And I think the Altium, the, uh, what do they call it, the Altium 365, yep. is, is about um, connectivity or the, the you know, the business as well. So yeah, right. so basically suppliers can be on the same platform. So you can actually communicate. Um, yeah, so that's quite exciting, the, you know, what they've actually trying to build there. Yep. Um, so it's only in the early stages of that. So that's, so far that looks pretty interesting. So, okay. but All yeah, right. it's, you know, if you have different suppliers there, can you can actually sort of um, sharing of information mm, on this okay. platform. So right. it's, yeah, it's, so got it's got an interesting look about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get into your stocks that you want to view on and um, Howard Henry wants a view on LaVisa, which is the, uh, uh, the retail fashion, jewellery and accessories uh, business, 435 retail stores uh, across Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, even South Africa, United States. Um, it's, it's sort of the um, everyday wear, um, sort of lower cost type jewellery, is it? Is this the one Greg Bundy was involved in? Uh, Brett, um, sorry? I'm not sure, David, uh, okay. but Brett certainly... Yeah, Brett Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's he, what, he in... what used to be called costume jewellery, yeah. um, now called fashion jewellery. And um, obviously there's you know a growing need for it. People no longer are as focused on having high quality jewellery and are happier to rather buy more uh, different amounts of jewellery, wear them once or twice, and uh, uh, at that price they don't mind. Um, as a business, though, it doesn't overly excite me. Its return on equity is outstanding, but often um, retailers have high return on equity if they're selling their merchandise fairly quickly because they don't have a lot of need for capital. But earnings per share were considerably lower in 2020 than in 2019. Uh, sales were down a bit as well. Probably COVID had some effect on that. But... Um, because of all their leases that they've got on stores around the world, they've got a lot of debt too. Um, now it's debt on leases as opposed to debt to the banks largely. Um, so it uh, doesn't pass our filters. It's certainly been growing its sales, but over the last three years, 2018, 19, 20, sales have been relatively flat. It was prior to that that it was growing rapidly. 
And um, so, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's a bad business, but they're better retailers. So uh, a, a sort of weak no from me. Uh, it's it's a no simply because I can find better retailers to invest in on the ASX. Right. Yeah. But it's that, certainly one of, you know, better than many. Right. Yeah, but your team investors is big into sort of JB Hi-Fi and Nick Scarley are ones that Excellent you guys have done. Yeah, Accent Group as well. Excellent. You know, those sort yeah. of ones where, yeah. Um, Gary? Yeah, so, so what's, uh, so Mark Cass about what, 838 million, yeah. the PE is around 78. So that's, that's the sort of stumbling block for me is that the PE is pretty high. Again, great business. I think they've uh, 435 stores. I think they opened 66 in the last 12 months. So right. shows you there's definitely growth there. So no problem with a high PE if you've got the high growth there, which is the case. but. With COVID here, obviously, you've got revenue down 3% for the year. I think profit yep. was off 70%. So you've got a few headwinds here just because of the, the environment we're living in. So that's the negative at the moment. Yep. Uh, I do love the fact that like 50% of the shares are held in the family. So it's uh, insiders hold nice and tight. So that means that really only half the re register is left to, to be yep. tradable. And there's quite some pretty chunky um, funds on there as well. So yep. so it's a pretty, um, it's a perfect sort of uh, shareholder structure in terms of in terms of being lightly traded and you know, uh, right. not many shares uh, available to trade, which yep. is what oftentimes we see those and, sort of stocks. And committed shareholders. Yeah, those stocks yep. tend to sort of pop a bit more. So right. that's the upside there. Just the, I don't have a problem with high PEs. Just, just they've just got to be, just got to be growing quickly here. So there's just some headwinds here. So, but definitely one of those stocks maybe to have a look at here once sort of the COVID disappears. <coughs> um, and if they start, you know, if the if the store sort of starts ramping up and yeah, just just a concern there with the revenue drop off there. Just you know, right. we might be might, might see another six or twelve months of these sort of soft numbers. So sure. yeah, that's the tough so thing. So not at the moment, but as Howard said, good business. Yeah, probably just at the wrong time at the moment. Yeah. Um, thank you for that uh, that suggestion, Henry. Uh, good analysis from both Howard and Gary. Um, our second stock, uh, Gary Kelly, wants a view on Kena Securities. Now it's it's um, um, a PNG, Papua New Guinea-based financial institution. Um, just done a raise, a capital raise in, um, in September, saying they're going to use it to, to fund uh, growth opportunities, but also uh, strengthening up their balance sheet. Um, Gary, Kena Securities, as I say, based yeah. in Port Moresby, is that? That's right. So the, it's basically PNG sort of uh, bank, I guess you yeah. might, might say. I think actually, actually, this has been spun out out of, out of ANZ. Right. So this was an ANZ asset originally. Yeah. So, okay. um, so yeah. So so far, the numbers are pretty good so in terms of Kena taking over the asset. I think the revenue uh, was up seventy eight percent, net profit up twenty four percent. So pretty good turnaround there. I'm not sure how that's sort of working there. The PE is nice and low here. PE is around five. Oh. Yields over ten percent here, but. Just sort of, it's you know, it's hard to get your head around this business. Sort of, that's that's yeah. the you know. Um, so, sounded really good, in, and until you went, but yes, you know, low yeah, PE, yeah. high dividend yeah. yield, uh, bank. Yeah. So, so talking about raising the capital for um, you know, firm up the balance sheet so you can get on and do more things, and also yeah. uh, trying to expand the digital platform as well. So, all sounds great. Just sort of sounds great on paper, um, but I'm just not sure the returns have been. Yeah, I mean, just I just wonder, you know, you've sort of bought this asset, maybe sort of down that's like, and you've turned it around pretty quickly, but is there longevity there? I, you know, I just don't know the track record of the guys running this, but yeah. on paper it looks pretty interesting. Just sort of, I see the 
we're already sitting under the um, the issue price, so it's underwritten at 80 cents, and we're right. we'll be trading 78, 79 cents there. Yeah. So we're sitting on a bit. Definitely, a sort of thought this one require, you know needs a bit more homework to look at because it right. could be a pretty good opportunity here. Obviously, the numbers okay. look pretty cheap, um, yeah. but it's all about having a look at. I would be supposed to be having a bit more look at the management here in depth right. there, looking at you know whether they're because it just sounds too good to be true at the moment. So, um, but. Yeah, but I just need a bit more. If, if, there's, if there's a pretty strong management with sort of with success, to, you know, sort of track record, then right. uh, yeah, okay, I, yeah, interesting. All right, Howard, what do you think of uh, Keto Securities? Yeah, it passes our filters, and uh, it's rare for a bank wealth man manager to pass our filters. You get wealth managers passing our filters, but when they tied to a bank, they don't usually. So um, you know, pretty small bank and wealth manager. Uh, but you know PNG's economy is pretty small compared to say Australia so the wealth management part of their business should generate high return on equity because it's not capitally intensive the banking part it's a lot tougher uh, as Gary says it's on a really low PE and all the metrics look outstanding um, the concern I'm sure that investors have and that's probably why it's on such a low PE is sovereign risk with it being mm. in PNG because certainly if this was an Australian company, it, uh, I'm sure its share price would be about double what it is now and it'd be on a PE of at least 10 instead of a PE of just over five. So, you know, if you're comfortable with sovereign risk or, uh, and you don't mind this part of your portfolio being exposed to the kind of risk of being in PNG, um, then uh, it's, it's an incredible bargain price. Uh, if you're concerned about that, then it's probably a no. Uh, some of our members of Team Invest, in fact, have looked at it in a bit more depth recently and have become more enthused about it. I haven't personally. Um, so there are some Team Invest members who hold it. Uh, as Gary says, the dividend's particularly high. And um, as I say, if it was an Australian company, the share price would be twice as high. So it's, it's a, a, a yes from me, but... Uh, I think any viewer watching it has got to be very comfortable with sovereign risk. Right. And as Gary says, it's always a good idea to look at the quality of the management that applies in any business. Yeah. And I suppose with the sovereign risk, you know, you see some, <laughs> some of the mining companies, Australian mining companies that have been PNG over the decades. And uh, uh, the PNG government, um, Gary, hasn't been um, shy in... Um, sort of imposing their will at different times. You look at Bougainville and yeah, those sorts of yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got the PNG aspect. And the, I mean, the other thing to me is that like the market cap's 180 mil right. and the raising here is like 90. So it's right. a fair, it's fair, a fair whack. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So what's that money going to be going into? Yeah. Is there, you know, is there, is there really that big opportunity in PNG as well? So yeah. you've got to look at the sort of size of that PNG market. Yeah. And, uh, and see what sort okay. of, you know, what, what, what component they're holding, how much they can grow. So it could be interesting because oftentimes these sort of big, uh, you know, if, if you're sort of a bit of, um, you know, a cynic, um, yeah. sometimes these big raisings get done at opportune times as well. Right. So the insiders, you know, if the insiders are all piling in here at these lower levels. They know something that's yeah, coming. Yeah, it could be an opportunity. So it'd be interesting right. to sort of see who goes on the register here. Right. Uh, whether a lot of the existing directors take okay. up shares and um, right. and who goes on, but yep. it could be one to really keep an eye on here, actually. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. We'll keep that on the on the watch list from uh, both Gary and Howard. Uh, but uh, Kelly, thank you for uh, bringing it to our attention. It's a good opportune time. 
Um, Howard, Jane wants a view on IPH, the intellectual property uh, group. They offer a, a wide range of services for the protection of, and management of intellectual property, um, both here in Australia and New Zealand. And we've got Quantum next. I thought I'd group them together because they come from uh, different viewers and will be good to compare them. But uh, first up, uh, Howard, what do you think of IPH? Um, like all companies that have been put together with lots of professionals together, doctors, uh, you know, lawyers, uh, optometrists, um, the problem you've always got is, is that well suited uh, compared to a partnership structure, which the law firms and accountants and so on usually have? And there have been some success stories over the years, but often they haven't been successful in that these are pretty independent minded people. Who, who don't usually fit in all that well uh, in a business. So that's my reservation. Looking at the return on equity is quite good, mid-teens, um, sort of 15 to 17% a year, which is very nice. Uh, earnings per share growing at about 6% a year, which is okay. It's not super fast, but you know it's consistent. It's got a 95% stability of earnings growth, which is pretty impressive. Anything in the mid-90s and up is quite rare on the ASX, uh, hasn't got much debt, you wouldn't expect it, it wouldn't be a capital intensive business. Um, in fact, their debt's probably mainly premises that they, they lease. So its metrics all look quite good and it's on a reasonable PE of 23. So um, uh, it doesn't look bad at all. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm just personally always a little bit skeptical about the professional services firms put together into a business because um, they haven't usually done well over the long term. They've done well often in the short term, but not over the long term. But I can't uh, fault them on any of their figures. Their figures look good. They've only been listed for about uh, five or six years. I think it's six years, six years. So uh, they haven't really proven themselves over a long period, but over the yeah. short period, they look pretty good. Okay. Gary? Yeah, it's just got a big market cap here, one and a half billion. So it's um, yeah, so that PE is sort of what twenty three, twenty five, still reasonably high for me personally. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think most of broker valuations are sitting quite a bit above here. So they're, I think most of them are sort of sitting at eight forty to eight ninety. So there's a bit of upside in terms of where everyone thinks they're they're valued at. Yeah, you've just seen a few ups and downs here in this sort of uh, in that sort of legal area. So yeah. some firms you know can do well, others not so well. So there've been a few. Few horror stories yeah. as well in that sector. Howard does yeah. bring up a really good point that yeah. um, whether these sorts of professional services are well suited to partnerships where you just divvy it up between yourself. Yeah. And if it's in a listed company to get that same thinking in a, so a lawyer's mind to say, well, I've got to look after shareholders as, yeah. as well as pay my staff. It's a really good point. Well, as long as they're big shareholders, that's what you want. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, as long yeah. as they've got skin in the game. Yeah. yeah. There was just a few things I did read there about um, there was a bit of softness in the, um, what do you call it, new patent sort of filings and stuff there, so which right. is sort of, a few analysts were a little concerned about um, lack of activity um, in there. So that's obviously right. a major part of their business there. So if that's a bit of a soft area at the moment, then might be worried about that, that sort of sector okay. there. So just price action look, does, looks a little soft as well. So. Um, yeah, just a bit of talk about, about the numbers not being a little okay. softer here. So maybe if you did like the business, right. I'd suggest it's probably going to drift back a bit here. Okay. Um, so compare it to Quantum. 
our next uh, our next stop, which, which seems to be in the uh, in the same space. Same yeah, I think this. I think the uh, IPH is a better business. Right. Um, Quantum have been around for a lot longer. Um, founded in 1877, according to the website. Wow. So, but <laughs> that hasn't been listed for that long. Right. Um, only 12% held by insiders. So. Not a big portion there. Um, similar sort of business. Um, yeah. PE is probably a lot less. I think around fourteen. The yields around six point eight. So, pretty attractive on the on the multiples mm. there. Just um, just hasn't performed as well. So the um, performance and the profit earnings haven't been as strong. And share, the share price performance has been pretty average as well. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, I'd, sounds funny. I just don't like the companies that are saying, "Oh, we've been, we've been around for so long." Yeah. Who gives a damn? That's not about. That's not. That's not why you. You know. Not you want to be innovative and. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure. The performance so far doesn't indicate they're a leader in that area. So. Okay. Probably uh, going to be down the pecking right. order. Uh, Howard, what's your view on on quantum? Yeah, the one of the law firms involved's been around for that long period of time, but as a publicly listed company, or even as a company as opposed to legal practices, it's only been listed for three and a half, four years. So uh, it hasn't really got much of a track record. What it's got looks quite good. But coming back to what I said before, um, you know, from the time somebody studying law at law school, they've been taught that you earn based on your own capacity and how many clients you can attract to you and how much work you can output per hour. And you charge per hour and you think in terms of, I am totally the master of my own destiny or mistress of my own destiny. Uh, in that the more work I can uh, get and output, the more I get paid because I'm paid per hour. Now, all of a sudden, somewhere down in your career, having worked and thought like that for 20 years or 30 years from the time you start law school, all of a sudden now you're part of a listed company where your own individual work makes very, very little difference to your personal income. And instead, you've got to be part of a management team uh, building up a business for the good of shareholders of which you're one. I just don't see how yep. people make that mental transition. Um, that's my problem with these kind of companies. Quantum's metrics over the three years that it's been listed or three and a half years that it's been listed actually look quite good. Return on equity is actually higher than IPH. Um, growth rate, but a very short period, has been higher. Um, and uh, it, it's got a little bit more debt, which is slightly more negative. But uh, again, as I say, uh, I can't imagine myself buying into any of these businesses because understanding a fair bit about human motivation, I just don't see how you take somebody and halfway through their lives when they've been motivated on one way, yep. suddenly change their motivation entirely. Yep. And that unless maybe they haven't succeeded in the other mode uh, and looking for uh, a bit more comfort, but understand exactly where you're coming from. Let's go from uh, intellectual property sector. We've looked at uh, IPH and quantum to um, how it's something a bit more traditional. That's Reliance Worldwide, which is the big uh, plumbing business, isn't it? Um, mm. Basically mm. in um, water flow and control and monitoring products in the the plumbing and heating industry. Uh, what do you think of Reliance? Yeah, they've got a couple of relatively unique products and have also opened up in the US, which all sounds very positive. However, their return on equity is low. 
um, in the uh, past four years, they've had two years where their return on equity has been well below 10%, not a good sign. Their earnings uh, per share has gotten sort of up and down. It was higher in 2017, down in 2018, up in 2019, down in 2020. That's not a good sign. So that stability of earnings growth is very low. So it doesn't pass our filters on that as well as on return on equity. Debt levels are okay. Um, so with two of the three things not passing on our main sort of first three filters we look at, uh, I can't say that I'm enthused about it. Uh, and while the story of all this wonderful growth in the US sounds wonderful, um, for every company that's an Australian company that's gone to the US and made a success of it, and there are a few, uh, CSL of course being a superb example, there are uh, probably dozens of others that have come back with their tail between their legs. Yep. So um, uh, I can't say that I'm enthusiastic about this one. It's return on equity is too low and its stability of earnings growth is too low. So it's a no for me. Okay. Gary, on the line? Yeah, so we've got a market cap of what, 3.2 billion, so pretty sizey. So the PE is yeah. uh, in the mid 30s. So if you use maybe forward earnings, you could probably bump it down a little bit. Um, so pretty big bell there. The good news is that um, the US, UK um, has been growing quite nicely and through COVID the numbers have been really strong. Right. So um, so the trading updates are actually um, indicating uh, a bit of strength there in the current mm. current environment. So that's obviously why we stocks got a bit of momentum Same here. Price, yeah. yeah. But I mean the last year the revenue was only up was up five percent for the year. Uh, I think the net profit was down seventeen percent, I think what one thirty versus one fifty eight. So just you look at the sort of um, you know, even at last year's 158 million profit, as opposed to a 3.2 billion dollar company, with those sort of margins that, as Howard referring to, lower, lower on the lower side there, just a big valuation there. So yeah. you're pricing in tremendous amount of growth here at the moment. Right. So yeah, so really they've got to um, execute perfectly here to to keep that PE. So I looked at most most of broker vales are sitting 3.65 to four dollars, and we're so we're above all those at right. the moment. Okay. So but. There's been some trading updates which have been very positive. Yep. Um, so at the moment, moment, there's nice momentum there. Uh, in the US and UK, obviously, there's you know the stimulus there at the moment for those governments. So analysts are probably thinking, okay, once the stimulus gets wound back, will, will the numbers be as strong? So that's right. that's a concern. But at the moment, the company's heading in the right direction. It's just it's just getting pretty pricey here okay. for me. Yeah. So so too high, um, not justifying its price at the moment. Let's. Um, Take a look at the first five stocks and um, including stock of the day. Stock of the day was Altium, um, the software uh, platform. Um, a no from both Gary and Howard because it's a, a pretty high price at the moment. If it got back down towards that $25 mark, um, uh, they'd certainly be having a look at it. LaVisa, a no. Uh, Keta Securities, interesting business. All of the metrics, financial metrics, look really attractive, but it is based in Papua New Guinea. Um, if you're happy with that sort of um, sovereign uh, risk, but um, Papua New Guinea government doesn't sort of interfere with companies that are too successful, maybe a look at um, Howard saying if you're uh, happy to accept that sovereign risk, um, then take a look at it. Uh, Gary's going to do a bit more digging into it because it certainly has sparked the interest of both Howard and Gary. IPH and Quantum, 
in that intellectual property um, sector a no from uh, both of them and Reliance, the, uh, the big plumbing business, a no as well. Uh, here at the call, we've been tracking our own call portfolio, any stocks um, that get put up to our two experts and both of them agree it's worth looking at, um, goes into the portfolio. If uh, we look at how it's been trading at the moment uh, over the last week, it's up half a percent, um, just over 1% for the month and since the 1st of July, um, the group of stocks in that portfolio up 10%. Um, over the recent week or two, ProMedicus has been added by our, our panel, ResMed, AUB Group, Betmakers and Simic. Uh, or elders and uh, points bet have been taken out. If one of the stocks in the portfolio comes up for assessment uh, in the future and doesn't get the uh, unanimous approval, well, then it goes out of the portfolio, it stays in if uh, the panel gives it both the thumbs up. Um, if you want to see what else is in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we'll keep tracking it on a daily basis. Um, joining us fresh off uh, IPOing today, Andy Taylor from, uh, from Doe. Um, it's a new neobank utilising AI to drive financial wellness. Um, Doe listed today and Andy Taylor joins us here on Ausbiz at 1.40. All right, let's get into uh, the second um, half of the call, our, our other five stocks. Um, first up, Howard Breville. Um, um, our viewers want opinion on that. Breville, of course, the, the big um, um, uh, manufacturer of, of homewares and kitchen products in particular. And interestingly, on Friday, um, Howard made an acquisition in the United States, um, a Seattle-based coffee grinding company called Baratza, um, and they paid 60 million US dollars for it. So. That adds to the kitchen appliance manufacturer and marketer whose share price has um, done pretty well over the last couple of years. At Solomon Lewis and Premier Investments are a big investor in it, aren't they? have a, a big strate strategic stake. Yeah, I think they've got somewhere around about 12 or 13% uh, roughly. Yeah. I, I could be out on that, but uh, they're one of the big shareholders. Uh, yeah, it's a company I've owned for quite a while now and I added to it in March, April. Uh, when the share price came tumbling down, I, my, my holding in it was relatively small before then, and I pumped up my holding at that time. Um, over the years, I've always felt it was a terrific, well-run business, but its P-E ratio tended to be a bit on the high side. So when the market conveniently collapsed in March, uh, with everybody frightened about COVID, gave me a perfect opportunity to move into it. And I think I was on the show at the time and said, yep. while people are stuck at home, uh, this is the time they're going to be buying these small kitchen appliances because they can't get their daily hit of coffee uh, at the office. You know, that they were getting two, three times a day, coffee being slightly addictive. Um, yep. You're going to be buying a machine to have it at home. So um, very well-run business. They've done a superb job of opening up more and more countries around the world. They operate under the sage brand name in europe uh, the breville brand name in australia with these small uh, kitchen appliances also sell nespresso machines for um uh, nestle um, and uh, yeah i mean uh, overall well-run business they did a capital raising roughly at about the end of the financial year 
and uh, at the time said it was uh, uh, partially to uh, strengthen the balance sheet, be able to carry more stock, and partially to look at acquisitions. Now, the only fly in the ointment, uh, all their metrics look good, the only fly in the ointment is that um, with a, a number of the very large um, department store retailers in the United States being absolutely murdered by the internet and going into administration, Breville in the financial year 20 um, had a large amount of bad debts from one of the big um, retailers. I forget which one it was, but one of them that went into chapter 11 owing Breville quite a bit of money, which they probably won't get or they'll only get a small part of it. So um, this has caused them to start doing more of their own selling uh, rather than selling it to big retailers and also to tighten up their credit controls. Now, I think that's all to the good, but that's why their results in 2020 were lower than um, they would otherwise have been. Their actual sales were good, but their profit margin was down because of a big write-off. So um, overall, I'm a very happy shareholder. Uh, I think the PE ratio is a bit on the high side now. Uh, in fact, it's very high again. I wouldn't be buying at these prices, but I'm an extremely happy shareholder mm. And if the, the, for the long term. And if, share, uh, if the PE ratio comes back to a bit closer to normality, I'd be very happy to add to my holdings again. Okay. Uh, Gary? Yeah, so yeah, what do we got? Three point six billion dollar market cap, so pretty pretty huge. What, what are we over fifty on the PE? So yeah. this is not this is not a tech or a biotech sort <laughs> of uh, you know, this as an appliance company. So, um, but full year revenues was up what twenty five percent last year. So that's you know that's pretty substantial there. So strong European growth. So what are we what nine fifty two versus seven sixty? So um, yeah, it's pr pretty strong position at the moment. Buying this uh, coffee grinder out of Seattle there, so in interesting little acquisition there, sort of quite small. Um, yeah, look, great company. Just I think you're just in a sweet spot at the moment. Yeah. Will that sweet spot continue? Pro probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're paying a big multiple for it here at the moment. So. Yeah. You feel, know, like, feel like how good company, but yeah, just yeah, yeah. If, if I had it here, price. actually, I'd, I'd probably trim some. I wouldn't sell them all. Right. I trim some here, and then I just probably once it pulls back a bit them back up again right. i just think sometimes sometimes great companies they get very expensive yep and then you know if you're patient enough you can wait to, to buy them back a little cheaper so right. i think this one here if you're um you know if we look forward down the road a little bit here the um i think you'll probably see it come off a little bit and you'll probably buy it cheaper okay all right um and, and but lots of people sorry i was saying i hope lots of people listen to gary sell theirs uh, so that the price comes down. I'll keep mine, but I'll buy some more when the price comes down. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, Gary Stewart uh, wants a view on InvoCare, the, uh, the funeral company. Uh, employs around 1,800 people globally, $400 million uh, turnover a year across Australia, New Zealand and, and Singapore. Yeah, look, it's been a great um, company um, historically, uh, just in a kind of horrible spot here at the moment, obviously with... Uh, you know, how well Australia's done with COVID yeah. and the social distancing there has just has actually kept the death rate quite low. Yeah. So, you know, normally in a bad flu season there, the sort of death rate would be higher. So um, also with COVID um, restrictions on numbers, people number of people can actually go to funerals as well. So it yeah. means you're only probably selling a lot of the budget or the cheaper packages yeah. rather than the, yeah. all the bells and whistles. Yeah. So it's a tough sort of segment for them. Might, might open up a little bit here. So great company. Um, mm. 
Yeah, I think basically sort of, I mean, this is a business that's probably, probably a buy here really for mind. Um, okay. The multiple's not compelling here, but, um, but I think you've, you've had good reasons as to why the, the revenue and the uh, net profit are down here. So yep. yeah, I do like the business. I think most evaluations are sort of sitting oh, from what, 11 to 12.50 here. So right. some, um, yeah, so I, I do like it here. I think it's, um, it's a good okay. business there. Just, just not compelling valuation, but I think there's good reasons um, as to why things can turn around for them here. But uh, right. I think this is more of a, a, a longer term play yep. rather than a shorter term one. So, yep. yeah. Okay, take advantage yeah. of the low price. Yeah. And um, uh, Howard, what do you think of InvoCare? Because sort of Gary, Gary's right, we've all been fixated on, on COVID, but total deaths in Australia are way down by comparison to last year, aren't they? And I, I remember reading, whether it was InvoCare or one of the other funeral companies, um, actually did a raise last year so that they could refurbish all the funeral homes to make and get liquor licenses because people were going from sort of sad and somber funerals to uh, more having parties and wake, wakes. Uh, and there was a really um, a change in consumer sentiment there. Yeah, in fact, that was InvoCare. And InvoCare have been on about a three-year, I think it is by now, um, program of upgrading and making bigger spaces available and providing more food and drinks and so on mm. for funerals. Funerals have gone like weddings. So weddings did this about 20 years ago where they went from um, relatively small by the standards of today to getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more money spent on them by the parents of the bride and groom. And um, funerals, it took a lot longer to get to the same point but they're now getting or were getting before COVID to the same point. But as both of you said, isn't it amusing? Here we've got a killer virus, which we worried about all the people that it's killing around the world and, and in Victoria, particularly uh, in Australia. And yet death rates overall in Australia have been the lowest during winter that they've been for many, many, many years. So COVID is actually a killer virus has caused fewer people to die. Um, which is rather strange. So that's been bad for InvoCare. But the second thing, as you both mentioned, is you can't have these big uh, funerals now. You're restricted to how many people you can have there. So they've spent all the money on it without yet getting the return. Now, that, assuming people go back to the very big funerals again after COVID, um, that will come back. The other where, place where InvoCare earns money is a lot of these funerals are prepaid. So they invest, or partly prepaid, they invest that money, and a bit like an insurance company, and then pay out the money later. Now, when bond rates were high, most of it's invested in fairly safe things like uh, government bonds, because they're seen as a sort of insurance company by the regulators, um, they were able to get five, seven, eight percent on their money sometime back in the past. Now they're lucky if they can get much more than two. So that's hurt their earnings per share as well. And because their listed securities are marked to market, um, the earnings per share bounces up and down depending on how well the stock market's doing. So over the last few months, uh, since the end of the financial year, the, the listed securities would have gone up in value dramatically. So if they now had to mark them to market, they'd show very high earnings per share. Right. But then if the market drops, they show low earnings per share. So you've got a combination of a few things here that affect the valuation. Um, 
but you know it's it the, the number of deaths in australia goes up by a bit over one percent a year uh with the graph showing some variation but that that's what it's doing over time as our population grows obviously that should continue doing uh, so they should in the long term uh, benefit from interest rates rising at some point COVID being over and big funerals being more mm. practical again and uh, at the same time the death rate growing over time I don't own it um, mainly because its death levels are quite high but uh, in every other respect it looks very good okay so you'd be interested at this level a buy from you uh, not me personally, because its debt levels right. are a bit high for me. But uh, do I think it's a good long-term business to be uh, in uh, at these price levels? Probably yes. Okay. I'd say give give it a tick from me. Okay. All right. Uh, Jack wants a view on um, Ive Group, IVE Group, um, Howard, which is the the big um, printing group. They do uh, catalogues, magazines. Um, uh, they print uh, display material and banners for uh, for retail groups as well. I've got into a bit of uh, um, e-communications as well, but uh, a, a big a big marketing company. Yeah, and they bought Salmat as well, which was right. the big direct marketing company that used to stuff all the things in letterboxes that's become largely digital today. Um, been listed only for about five years, return on equity looks good. Earnings per share, though, have been flat. Um, sales have been a little bit better than flat. They've been fractionally up. But earnings per share for the last four years, five years, sorry, for the last five years have been round about the same 22 cents a share every year, except for 2017, where they made 29 cents a share. Now, if you're looking for wealth winners, you want companies that are growing their earnings per share pretty consistently. They're not. Um, their debt levels are quite high as well, so it's a no from me. Okay. Uh, on a very low PE ratio, by the way, mm. but it's a no from me nonetheless. So Thank some you. people, traders, may want to buy it on a trade, but yeah. I certainly wouldn't want to own it for the long term. All right, Gary? Yeah, so market cap's only 111 mil, so multiples are pretty low here. So um, from a valuation perspective, it looks pretty interesting here. It looks kind of cheap here, but um, we've still got us basically sort of that, you know, print, the print business in Australia is a tough, you know, it's a tough mm. grind here. So uh, I know it's, you know, you see consolidation there, obviously entrance or, you know, um, people getting forced out of the industry take some consolidation there. But if you basically, when the revenue was down 4% for the year, and that was including the acquisition of Salmat in top of that. So that was like right. 50 million revenue from Salmat. So wow. the revenue is okay. actually a lot softer right. um, than, than the headline there, just because if you look at the business. so. That's a concern there. So there's, I think, what debt's about 137 mils. So it's not not too bad, but um, but yeah, just I just think this segment's going to do it tough. Yeah. So um, I think some of the big end, um, you know, even the big retailers are, are wondering, you know, yeah. when they, they won't stop print, but I just don't see that being. I Wind can, it back. They're I, focusing on digital. More I can than see them. Yeah, yeah, the budget will go more towards digital and less yeah. in print. So yeah. I just don't see the print segment growing. So. It's just going to be tightening. So you're going to be in a sector that's going to be tightening, tightening sure. the whole time. Here. Okay. So, yeah. so I know for IVE Group, uh, Gary, another retailer, Super Retail, of course, the owner of uh, Super Cheap Auto uh, brand, also MacPack, 
BCF, um, what's that, boating, camping and fishing, it stands for, and uh, Rebel Sport. So all the uh, retailer that focuses on outdoor activities, if you like. Yeah, so great business there, what market cap 2.4 billion, is around 19, which is a little, maybe a little high, yields just under 2%. Um, group sales were up sort of 4% for the year, so, yep. but um, I mean, the interesting thing there is the group sales are 2.83 billion. So, and the company is around the same. So it's right. uh, well, actually slightly less than that. So it's only really trading on one times Rebel. sales. Yeah, yep. so it's not, um, the, uh, the, the online sales part is um, was interesting there. They're sort of growing by 44%. So that makes up about 10% of the, of the oh. total number. So yeah. still sort of small, but that's reasonably yeah. substantial. So um, yeah, so that's probably the plus there. So if that continues to grow, then you think the margins probably will grow in that business as well. So look, most of broker vales are probably sitting around here. We're, we're around that sort of uh, $11 mark. So that's kind of the... So it's kind of priced for, you know, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's expensive well, look, here, but I think You look think at the five-year chart, yeah. it's sort of, yeah, yeah, it's record. It is there, but, you right. know, the, um, yeah, I mean, performance sales are pretty strong here, so yeah. it should be where it is. Right. I just don't know if there's enough upside potential right. here. So okay. I think it can go slightly higher here, but I don't know if it can, yeah, it looks, looks almost fully priced here. Maybe there's a little bit more upside, but sure. not much more. Okay. Howard, Super Retail. Yeah. I've owned this for very many years. To me, it's one of the better run retailers in Australia, one of those that's passed our filters in Team Invest for many years. Um, reasonably decent return on equity. It's usually in the sort of uh, mid-teens or so. Uh, earnings per share been growing uh, reasonably, uh, not particularly fast, about 6 7% a year on average over a period of time. Debt's usually been low enough to pass our filters. Um, with the addition of leases, it initially looks like it now doesn't pass our filters. But in fact, they did a capital raising just either side of the um, end of the financial year. So the, uh, the placement was before the end of the financial year. The retail component was afterwards. So other than leases, they've now got no debt. And as Gary has mentioned, they're moving more and more to online sales. And one of the shopping centres near me, um, the uh, Rebel Sports inside it is now a shop about half the size, probably less, probably a third of the size of what it was before, but you can still buy everything you wanted to before in it because mm. you can just simply on the computer order it or you can do click and collect. So obviously the as their leases come up for renewal over time, my guess would be that they will shrink their premises as they sell more and more online and that makes the business even more profitable. In oh. terms of uh, buying it, as you can see from the graph there, the share price absolutely plunged in March and it got down as low as $2.99 one day. Um, so I know Amazing. quite a lot of team invest members were sort of buying in the threes. I don't know that anybody got it at $2.99, but they were buying it at under $4. I had quite a lot of them already, so I didn't add to my holdings at the time. Um, but the interesting thing is that most years, you can buy it on a PE ratio of around about 12 or less. There have been some years where you can get it in single digits. So at the moment on a PE of 16, it's fairly expensive by comparison. It does get sometimes over 20. So it's the kind of company that I would say to viewers, uh, keep it on your watch list. Every time mm. the uh, market tells you that super retail is doing badly and the share price plunges, 
that's the time to buy it. Okay. When everybody tells you it's doing wonderfully well, its PE ratio is usually too high and that's not the time to buy it. Okay, all right, good advice there. And just quickly, we're almost at the uh, out of the show, but one stock left to go from Anthony. Uh, Cedarwoods Property, um, Howard, a uh, property development company across residential, commercial and, and retail uh, premises, 34 projects un- underway at the moment. Yeah, uh, probably the best run one of its kind in Australia. It's got about 15 years worth of land left for development, but they develop relatively small amounts at a time. Um, This last financial year didn't look great because a lot of um, settlements were delayed by COVID into July and August that otherwise would have happened in June. Um, I'm sure this year will look a lot better. Um, And uh, yeah, they're you know, a relatively small company, but extremely well run, um, always keep their debt levels low, um, have lots of land, and uh, EPS generally growing, but not all that fast, uh, return on equity generally more than 10%, although last year wasn't. So a yes from me. Okay, Gary? I'm just going to say no here, just because, of, I mean, I've, I've, I'm with how there's a good, clean business there, it's uh, had you know pretty good track record, so metrics are really good, but the thing, the reason I'm saying no is that uh, most of their uh, land is like sort of high amenity, sort of near train stations, so right. more sort of ur- uh, more urban. Right. So at the moment, you know, people are looking more lifestyle choices here with uh, with COVID and stuff. There, so the inner city on the train line less attractive. More, right. they're looking more, you know, more beach, okay. more lifestyle. So it's yeah. just kind of the segment might struggle a little bit, even though they always, you know, tend to buy smart areas. At the moment, it's just a bit of a shift in thinking from individuals, mm. and so just it just okay. might be a little bit soft here for another twelve months here. But yeah, all right, yeah, that's Perfect. the only reason. Yeah. Uh, let's recap our final five uh, stocks: Breville, um, both Gary and Howard like it as a business, well run. Um, watch if it comes down; it's fully priced at the moment. Any sort of pullback, um, put it on your uh, on your list. Invocare, yes, from both. Gary and Howard, IBE Group, a no. Uh, bit like Breville, super retail. Um, great business, fully priced at the moment. Look for it to, uh, to pull back and, and put it on your watch list. And Cedar Properties, uh, Cedarwood Properties, a yes for Howard, a no from, uh, from Gary. Um, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, uh, appreciate your time today. Great to catch up again. Pleasure. Uh, good being on the program as always. Have a good week. Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Good to see you, mate. Thanks, David. Always. Um, now, if you'd like to uh, suggest any stocks for us to uh, to look at, um, click us an email, uh, the call at ausbiz.com.au or on Twitter, use the at TV handle. A reminder, if you want to see the, uh, the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, if you want to catch up with everything that's been happening in the day in business, finance, market, startup, uh, you should subscribe to the COB, the Close of Business. Uh, Scuddy and Nadine wrap the day up every evening. Um, just subscribe at osbiz.co slash join. It'll be in your inbox at 5.30 Eastern every day. And um, non-listed investments are, of course, are the focus of the Startup Daily Show between 2 and 3 p.m. every afternoon. Uh, Twee Herrera the, uh, from the platform trading platform James, uh, which uses AI to automatically conduct trades for users. 
and is joining them amongst a whole range of different founders on the Startup Daily Show between two and three. Join them then. So a lot happening on Ausbiz throughout the afternoon. Don't forget you'll get the very latest on the Reserve Bank's decision on official interest rates at 2.30 with full analysis after that. So stick around. A lot happening on Ausbiz this afternoon.